All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. My name is Ernie Wagner. I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, I'd love to, love to meet you before you leave. I wanted to begin by just pausing, and one of the things we were praying about in our elder prayer time this last week was just a, a time of rest. I know the season's chaotic. For some reason, we book ourselves way too much, and then it's like, oh my gosh, why am I so exhausted during the season? We tell ourselves that, and then next year we do the same thing, and the next year we do the same thing, and would love to just pause, kind of considering the text that we just heard, and, and pray together. So if you want to mind just taking in a deep breath and exhaling. God, we remember that you came. We remember that, you're, that we're not alone because of it. We don't have to carry the burdens that we carry on our own. Lord, help us to exhale in a posture of trust and rest in you this morning. We want to make room for you in this season, so I pray that you would open our hearts in a renewed, fresh way. Father, we... Remember our humanity, remember your divinity, remember that you rule and reign over all things. I pray you draw near and move among us and help us to be aware of the presence that's right in front of us here. Thank you for your spirit and I pray that you would remind us that you're with us. But as we gather and consider your coming, I pray that you would meet us by your spirit. I pray you'd blow the dust off of our hearts in this story and help it to be heard afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, good. As we get, begin, I wanted to, we'll be in Matthew chapter one this morning, <clears throat> if you feel the need to go ahead and turn there. Um, but I wanted to just make mention of what we talked briefly about last week. We talked about, um, as we introed our, our time, we talked about uh, our, as we're closing out this year, just an opportunity for giving, and so I wanted to remind you of that. So uh, we mentioned last week that because of the green that we added, because of some significant security we added here with cameras and things like that, uh, we're hoping to pay off uh, the remainder of our debt um, coming up over the next year, which is a pretty exciting moment for us as a church. Um, it's pretty rare to be in a community where, a church community where there's no debt, and that's about to be where we are. We merged with Paper Mill Road Baptist Church where this building was paid off. And so we've got a just exciting opportunity for us when it comes to kingdom investment and what we can do beyond here. Uh, and so anticipating what that looks like. And so like I said last week, if you're, if you're a part of this community and just for a variety of reasons just found yourself, um, see this as your home and just found that you haven't given here and you want to before the end of the year, I want to invite you to do that. Uh, if that's something that you're interested in. And if you are and you have margin to give before the end of the year, I want to welcome you to lean in. Um, we're excited about what's, what's on, on the horizon for us when it comes to kingdom investment. And this is an us thing. This is a communal thing. And so just want to continue to lean into that. And so we have the URL there if you're interested in that before the end of the year. So that's what I got when it comes to housekeeping stuff. We are in the third week 
of Advent. So we're, we're halfway through. Christmas is coming like a freight train, um, but we want to be able to pause and, and reflect. And so Advent, we've said uh, every week, uh, because it matters, it means coming or arrival. And so it's a reference to the uh, first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And I'm going to, I don't typically do this. Chandler, can you, can you turn the lights on a little bit? I feel like it's just ridiculously dark in here. Um, there, hallelujah. Um, so I want to begin, thanks bud, I want to begin by considering hope. Hope is packaged beautifully in Advent, but it's also a real desire just in humanity. Just being human, there's a desire for hope. Um, the American Psychological Association defines hope as this, the expectation that one will have positive experiences or that a potentially threatening or negative situation will not materialize or will ultimately result in a favorable state of affairs. So hope in secular psychology would be uh, an attitude. It's an attitude shift. It's an anticipation uh, that at best, if chance allows you to have a better future than it does and you're your goal is to kind of shift your attitude, just hoping that it will turn out for the better. And I get that. Going through difficult times, like hope would be helpful. To shift the attitude would be helpful. But if we know there is a great benefit in having, um, we know that there's a great benefit in hope-filled expectations. You have a better uh, physical result, emotional result. Studies show that. But here's the problem that this perspective of hope is just too limited. If it's simply based on chance, if it's simply based on an attitude shift, in the near term, that might be fine. But, um, man, if we're, if we're relying on chance, then it's just like we're rolling the dice. Uh, the Christian story, however, provides a hope that is much more substantial. Hope with, without an author, hope without a creator, Hope without someone who's actually orchestrating the world towards a purpose, man, it's pretty scary and pretty limited. But the offer of Christian hope isn't just based on chance or a good attitude. It's anchored in a story, a story about a God who didn't give up on his creation. The, the hope-filled story of Advent, the Christian story, is a, is a story where God hasn't given up on his creation, but brought about a, a story of redemption culminating in him writing himself into our human story. The story of hope provides us a profound understanding that our hope can be connected to a God who has the power to bring about hope in the midst of difficulties and trials. So there is not a potential of, of something that could potentially happen in an attitude shift, but it's a recognition that God is here and he's at work, and that's where we want to lean into hope. So for that, we want to lean in this morning. We, we may not have a better today or tomorrow, but we can look forward to a better future because God has come. And it's this hope that I want to remind us of this morning. So Matthew chapter 18, or not 18, chapter 1, verse 18, we're going to be in the latter half of chapter one, hitting the genealogy and the Messiah last week. But let's read. We're going to read some, talk some, and go from there. So Matthew 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Again, it begins, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. See, the long-awaited one, we talked about this last week, that there was a Messiah that was promised for centuries. 
There was a promised Messiah given to the Jewish people that there would be a deliverer that would come to the people of God to deliver the people of God from those who oppressed the people of God. So there's promise throughout the Old Testament of this promised one. And then in Matthew 1, we talked about it last week, how this promised one had come. And for a Jewish audience who Matthew was writing to, there was significant hope that was given to them. The great deliverer had come. And in this text, as we look through the following few verses, we're going to see that the, the Messiah, he was born to a poor virgin. We're going to see that the child must be adopted by Joseph if he's to be the Messiah. We're going to see much scandal and drama within the text. And above all, we're going to see one born in Bethlehem is Emmanuel. So the story continues in verse, the latter half of 18. It says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. There's a pretty cool story here. I don't know what you would think of, like how would you think the coming deliverer should show up? Like, what would come to mind for you? Like, the great coming deliverer, the great uh, Messiah who would rescue the world, to rescue the people of God. How would you think that he would show up in your own expectations? Well, none of our expectations would be met. We know in hindsight, but in real time. And how would you assume the king, the great king, would be born? It's wild how he came about in this way. All the expectations of the Messiah were different than what was perceived and his birth was no different. And so we see these handful of moments within the story that I want us to consider. The first is this, that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. We don't use that language anymore, and if you do, maybe you're a little bit weird. And so we typically use the word engagement. Uh, And so for that time in the first century, uh, betrothal was seen as a, a binding agreement. It was functionally a covenant that a man and a woman would commit together pre-marriage and would say, we are committed to each other unto death. And they would be in betrothal, betrothed to one another for a year. And then the daughter would leave her parents and be joined to her husband. And so Joseph and Mary are in this place of betrothal, this place of pre-marriage that's much more significant than our own engagement that you can break off at any time in our day. But in their day, it was much more serious It was this binding agreement together. And Joseph and Mary had chosen to be in this position. And the Matthew transitions the story to this scandal that's become normative in in our Christian faith, that Mary is pregnant. While in this state of betrothal, when you're not supposed to sleep together, she was pregnant. Matthew colors this in a, a little bit. Uh, or sorry, Matthew doesn't color it in, but Luke does. And Matthew's just pretty matter-of-fact. He kind of brushes over the fact that this has happened. Matthew is much more focused on Joseph. His aim is to communicate how 
in the world the Messiah, who is not biologically connected to the son of David, would become connected to the son of David. That, that's significant. Again, his audience is uh, Jewish Christians, and he's wanting them to understand how Jesus is connected to the son of David and therefore the Messiah. And Luke, in his gospel, he focuses much more on Mary. So he gives us a different depiction than Matthew does. Same story, two different characters. It's like, I don't know if you've read anything from Wendell Berry. He's a novelist and poet. Uh, but he has this these set of stories about this city called, this town called Port William. It's after the World War II era, modernity is entering into the city, everything's shifting, and he writes this story about the same space, but different characters. So he's got Jaber Crow, he's got Hannah Coulter, and these different individuals that he writes about that are all experiencing the same town and the changes that are taking within the same town. In the same way, we're seeing that in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see the same story about this coming Messiah who is Jesus, and we see four different stories about people that experience the same reality take place. We see that in Matthew, we see that in Luke. So Matthew says of her pregnancy, I mean, very just typical dude, right? Like, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and moves on. It's like, what the heck just happened? That's like a massive statement. That's like a super pregnant statement, and you're just going to say it and move on, Matthew? So again, his focus is more related to Joseph, but then thankfully we have Luke. Luke is the doctor. He's writing to Theophilus. He gives much more detail to what happens in the story. And so in in Luke chapter 1, we're going to fast forward a little bit because I want us to the, the third gospel, and I want us to see what Luke has to say to us. Some good stuff here. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, again of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel, he came to her, said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How would this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So again, in the Gospel of Luke, we see a little more detail playing here, powerful details. The first is that the angel says to her, Do not be afraid. And throughout the story of Advent, the Christmas narrative, there is this reminder over and over and over again do not be afraid. If, Advent, if the Advent story tells us anything, it's do not be afraid. God is at work. For it we have hope, knowing he will make everything sad come untrue. Do not be afraid. And then he gives, the angel gives to Mary this name, Jesus. 
He will be great. He will be son of the Most High. He will receive the throne of his father David. He will reign forever of his kingdom. There will be no end. There's a significance that we hear about the person of Jesus. And we hear that the incarnation will happen through the Holy Spirit. And then Mary ends with this beautiful statement. She says, let it be to me according to your word. I mean, probably filled with fear, the unknowns, what this will mean for her, scandal, all of that. But she has this deep, deep abiding trust in the living God that if he's going to do this, he's going to carry her. And then Matthew continues the story and brings such humanity to the story. And the third kind of piece of the story is that Joseph made up his mind to divorce her. There's such humanity in this story. It's not just like another world, but in real time, you can imagine the disgrace, the confusion. Like, what the heck just happened? Joseph's engaged, betrothed to Mary, and he finds out that she's pregnant. And you can imagine the the angst and the confusion, the betrayal, being distraught, confused that he felt. There's only one way to get pregnant. And he knew that, and he knew he wasn't the man. So he's like, I, I don't know what else to do. Like, you're pregnant, and so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bow out. I'm not gonna disgrace you, but I, I can't. And so that's human, right? That's a human response, and he feels that. Yet with a posture, again, of humility, he's not just gonna shun her or shame her, but he's gonna do it with this place of humility and with honor. And then he processed it more and more, and then... Can imagine he blew out his candle, because again, no electricity yet, laid his head on the pillow, and the angel of the Lord showed up. And then this moment takes place. And as he rested his head on his pillow, the story continues, and we see that Joseph, he had a dream. He had a dream, and in the dream, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, which again, can't overemphasize the, the drama that's happening here in this moment. This referencing the fact that he, Joseph, is the only way that Jesus is going to be in the lineage of the son of David. So which means that if Joseph leaves, then Jesus will not get the tag of being the son of David. All of the Old Testament is promised that the Messiah would only come through the son of David. And we see Joseph is in this moment And he's at a crossroads. I can leave Mary, which maybe I should do. And if I do, Jesus will not be the son of David. But if I stay, and if I take Mary as my own, as my wife, and if I name this son who is not my son, I know it's not my son, if I name him taking on the name son of David and therefore adopt him as my own, then he will be called the son of David. So again, for us, we're just kind of Gentiles. We just ran through the the genealogy, breezed through it so fast, and then we get here, and it's just kind of, we know the story, but there's drama in here. For a Jewish Christian, it's like, what's going to happen? Is he going to accept Mary and adopt Jesus, or is he going to reject Mary and therefore reject giving Jesus the title son of David, and therefore him not be able to be the Messiah? Does that make sense? Three of you, awesome, good. So there's, there's like this tension that's happening, drama that's happening within the text. And Joseph's, again, just deep drama. And then within the dream, 
One of the first words that the angel says is, do not be afraid. A reminder that God has come, substantial hope is here, and that he will make everything sad come untrue. And then he says, the angel says, take Mary as your wife. You can trust me that she is still a virgin. You can trust me that God has, I don't know how, impregnated her, and now she is with child. She will have a son, Joseph. And Joseph, you shall name him Jesus. You shall adopt him. You shall bring him as your own. And therefore, he will be in the line of David. So we sidebar because this name, there's two names that are given in the text that we've just read in Matthew 1 that have profound significance for us, gives us profound hope that I don't want us to overlook. Two names given here that have substantial meaning to the redemptive story that God is writing. The first is Jesus. This is a pretty popular name in the first century. Not so much today, maybe for obvious reasons, at least in our culture. But the derivative of this, this name, Jesus, is Yeshua. And this means um, God saves. This means Yahweh saves. So the name of Jesus is that he is, he's going to save. God is going to save. He's going to deliver his people. God is going to bring about deliverance and salvation to his people. Again, the goal of the Messiah was to conquer a greater kingdom than Rome. The Messiah was going to come to save the people from death and sin and the great destructive dragon. That's the meaning of the name Jesus. And the second name we read in Matthew 1 is that his name will be Emmanuel. We know that name. Sometimes we wonder, is it Emmanuel with an I or Emmanuel with an E? And you might read both in the slides, but, but here it's, uh, it's with the I. And so it's pointing to a prophetic promise in Isaiah 7. And that I'll read it again to you. Again, 800 years prior to the coming of Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, you guys are learning that sometimes I'll just do that. You've got to just roll with me or it's awkward for everybody. Um, for centuries, Jewish religious leaders and scholars had known this prophecy, but none of them thought it was going to be literal. None of them thought that there's actually going to literally be a virgin who was going to give birth and that was literally going to be Emmanuel. The expectation was a, it was in a figurative approach. Figuratively, how? I don't know. But figuratively, there's going to be one like an Emmanuel, but not actually God with us. See, for the religious leaders and the scholars, there was no way, no way, not Yahweh. Yahweh was never going to do this. He is creator. He would never subject himself to creation. He's transcendent. He's holy. He would never become human. He was the God at Sinai where, where Moses had to take off his shoes before the burning bush and he, had, uh, he was the one that, that came to Isaiah. Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He was this powerful one. There's no way that he would come. He was the one that killed him uh, when someone would touch the, the ark, immediately struck dead. There's no way that that one would become human. At best, again, this is just figurative speech. Matthew's saying it came true, not figuratively, but literally and the New Testament confirms this. We see in John 1, 1, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being 
It's coming to being. And then it says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. See in Colossians chapter 1 that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's, that's about Jesus. So we see that the Jesus is God with us. Jesus confirmed this throughout his life. Only God could for, forgive sin, and Jesus claimed that he was able to forgive sin. He claimed to have a mutual and equal understanding of his father, he took on the divine name when the Pharisees were with him and they were arguing. And he, Jesus said in this climax in John 8, he said, before Abraham was, ego and me is the Greek word, I am. He's declaring the same thing that Moses said, or the, the burning bush where God said to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He claims to be God. And lastly, when his disciples worshiped him, he didn't reject it. Multiple times, he allowed them to worship him. See, this is the doctrine of the incarnation, that God is with us in the person of Jesus. You don't need to wonder who God is. You don't need to wonder his, uh, what his nature is like, what his character is like. You simply look to Jesus. Everything that we ever need to know about God is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. You don't need a question. Everything that we need to know about God. He is the image of the invisible God. Some have argued that the greatest miracle within Christianity is not the resurrection of Jesus, where he rose from the dead. Some argue that the greatest miracle in Christianity is the incarnation, that God became human. A few quotes to consider. Tim Keller says that the beginninglessness the beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on human nature without the loss of his deity so that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. J.I. Packer continues his theme. I love this quote. He says, The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. And then this phrase, I love it. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Nothing in fiction. I mean, you just gotta sit with this. I've, I've been sitting with that specific phrase over this last week, that nothing in fiction is so fantastic, so glorious, so wonderful as the truth of the incarnation. This is why C.S. Lewis said what he said. I read it last week, but it's worth noting again. He says, Now as myth transcends thought, incarnation transcends myth. The heart of Christianity is a myth, which is also a fact. The old myth of the dying God without ceasing to be myth comes down from heaven of legend and, um, legend and imagination to the earth of history. It happens at a particular date, in a particular place, followed by definable historical consequences. We pass from Boulder or Osiris dying nobodies, which are uh, part of mythology, nobodies when or where, to a historical person crucified under Pontius Pilate. By becoming fact, it does not cease to be myth. That is the miracle. There's nothing in fiction so fantastic as the story 
God has come. Lastly, the, the church father Athanasius, he says that God became a human to make humans divine. The immortal became mortal to raise mortals to immortality. No mere creature could achieve this, but only the very word of God. So Jesus was born, and his name was Emmanuel. And this is the dream that Joseph received. Lastly, J.R. Tolkien, who coined a new word. You can do that. At least if you're smart and you write books like The Lord of the Rings. And, and, and quite simply, it, it means, this word means the opposite of catastrophe. Catastrophe is a downward turn in a story. And this word that he coined is an upward turn to a happy ending. It's called the eucatastrophe. It's the opposite of catastrophe. He says that the New Testament provides the most joyous upturn in human history when Jesus comes and restores the relationship between God and man. He says this. He says, the birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. The story begins and ends with joy, this upward moment that shifts the course of human history in this moment when Mary is pregnant and Joseph has this dream. So the dream ends, and the ending of the story is this. Joseph woke up, and he obeyed. What was once in jeopardy is now dealt with. He embraced his wife as his own. He trusted that this dream was true, that what she said was true, and he embraced her as his own. By naming this baby Jesus, he adopted his son, Jesus, as his own. And now Jesus of Nazareth is now securely adopted as the son of God. And there's now no issues with the lineage continuing with Jesus. There's such scandal in this first chapter. Will the Messiah receive the lineage of David? Will Joseph accept Mary? Which leads us, as I close, to similar scandal. The story plays out and we know what is to come. We're familiar. Jesus will live a life in our place. He will die the death that we deserved. He will rise again and be a deposit of the resurrection that we will have one day. He grants us the Spirit and He rescues us from the domain of darkness and He adopts us into His family. We've now been given every spiritual blessing as we learned in Ephesians this last semester. And we wait for the day that again everything sad comes untrue. And this is our moment. It's like we also have heard a dream like Joseph did. And we're at a crossroads. Do we, like Joseph did with the angel, do we trust that this story is real for us? Like this story is real for you. To trust that he has you. That he's Emmanuel with you. That you are secure. That he hasn't left you. That he isn't done with you. That he's bringing beauty out of ashes. And like Joseph, we're, we're called to walk it out. Again, he woke from his dream and he obeyed. For us, a part of Advent is to adhere in the same way. To hear, are we going to trust that this story is true for us? And are we going to allow it to actually shape how we live our lives? See, we're invited to trust by faith in God's faithfulness as well. Just as there's no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah and he was adopted into this into Joseph's family. So your adoption is just as sure. Jesus, our brother, he was adopted into the family of Joseph and we have been adopted by the Spirit through faith in Jesus and his secure adoption is no different than ours. It is this, again, that provides 
substantial hope for us. God is with us. He isn't finished. There is a creator who is the Alpha and the Omega. He has the first word and he will have the final. Therefore, friends, the best days are ahead of us. We can look forward because God has come. Advent reminds us that he has come and he will come. So we wait and we remember in the midst of it that he is with us. I don't know where you are. I don't know if, if Christmas for you, this season for you, like triggers all kinds of things in you because of your childhood or things that are going on in your life. Difficulty, maybe death of someone that just highlights some significant pain. I want to remind you that God's with you. You don't have to carry anything alone. You are not alone. Emmanuel, God with us. The Spirit with you here and now. Don't forget it. Don't, don't live this life alone. Don't live as if you're an orphan. You have been rescued, adopted, and you are not alone. Emmanuel, God is with us. Let's pray together.